Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled, Why the Struggle is Worth It, originally produced and published by Cami Banks of the Beyond Your Comfort Zone podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Today we have, honestly, one of my favorite women. Um, this is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I... Um, found her work like so many years ago on Jody Moore's podcast. Uh, I believe she had interviewed you in like 2016, but anyways, yeah. I found it and she, you were the, she's the LDS um, relationship and sexual sexuality coach and a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I found that work and I was like two worlds collide. Cause I had Jody Moore teaching about life coaching and like understanding the brain. And then you were talking about sexuality and understanding all of that. And with me, my health background, I was like, holy cow, this all came together. And I was like out mm. running. It was like this light bulb moment. And I was like, this is amazing. So mm. I've been like following your work. I've done three of your courses. I love it. My mom and dad came to your retreat and you, I've, I referred so many people to you and I just, they've all told me like, they, you might not even know, but you've changed so many lives. So mm. it's wow. Wow. Thank you. So I Thank you for saying so, that. I feel so honored. Like this is a dream come true of mine to like actually talk to you and I thought I would ever do a podcast and never be able to get her on and you are on. So I'm like, this is like coming true for me. <laughs> yeah. Great. I'm so, glad. Yeah. I would love for you to just share a little bit about your journey to what you're doing and just how, you know, why has this been a fulfilling mission of yours? Why has this been something that you chose to do and how is, why have you stayed with it? Like, what is it? What does it do? Like, how do you do all this? Thing? Well, I love it. It's never, there's never, it's hard work, but I really do love it because it is amazing to see people get freer and happier and stronger and more able to impact their marriages and their children and their friends. And so to have anything to do with people's growth is such a remarkable privilege that I'm not even sure how I'm so fortunate, but but how did I get, the, you know, when I was a young person, I think I just had a a gift maybe and an interest in how human beings functioned. And I watched people very carefully as even a really young child. I was definitely a scientist of, of relationships at an early age and understanding human beings. And um, I think some of my you know, family experiences, my, some of my religious experiences, they just pushed me into the questions to really think about what was, um, what was it that happy people had figured out and people that were comfortable with themselves. And so I think I was on my own quest for a lot of time in my adolescence and my young adulthood to find um a deeper peace with myself and deeper self-acceptance deeper self-confidence and then to really partner well and those were all kind of soul-stretching journeys um and I got my PhD right as I had my second child and I literally walked across the stage with him a 10 day old in my arms um <laughs> uh, yeah and then I put it aside for a while while I you know, I had a third child and uh, one of the, my children has special needs, but you know, just kind of working within the intensity of, of full-time parenting for a number of years. And then at a certain point, I started my practice and started doing teaching, which is a big passion of mine of 
trying to help people to know what the principles are that are operating that are impacting their lives because lots of good people are trying really hard to solve things, but they don't yet have an understanding of themselves or what is the sort of operational reality that they have to understand to be able to find a, a meaningful path forward. And so helping people find that in themselves so that they can really grow is definitely a passion of mine. And so, and something I never get to, I mean, never, maybe after a full long day of work, maybe I'd be tired, but I mean, it is fulfilling to be, to have anything to do with that for sure. Yeah. And I love how you said that you help like free them of themselves and help them understand themselves more. Like, because I do Mm. think everyone wants to try to live a happy life, like to Mm. live a good life, but sometimes they don't even know necessarily the route. That's right. Some of the methods behind that and that you have been given this gift or this talent to share this and that you've been a scientist kind of of relationships and understanding Mm. people and that you'd be willing to share that with others like that. Mm. That is like when we use God's gifts, our talents to share them. Mm. You're like, and that's yes. what we're all here for, you know, to help. Yeah. You're like, it just feels like it all is a miraculous yes. thing, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's actually increased my belief in the reality of goodness in God and 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 a higher way because to watch when people actually step into it it's like they they look different they seem more at peace they seem happier they seem brighter it gets really interesting to see when we're living in contradiction and living in self-deception it has a deep toll and it's also the human condition to be in self-deception and in contradiction and but the more that you can sort of move into a meaningful development move into deeper truths the freer you are and the healthier you are. Yeah. And that's what I kind of want to talk about is like, how, how do we work on that aspect of understanding ourselves of like understanding our desires? I love how you use the word emotional intimacy, because I, if I've worked with clients, we work on their health, their exercise, their mindset, but in honesty, like all of that coming together, they learn to have this emotional intimacy that like then manifests into their marriage, into their intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Can you just a few things that you help people with? Like, how do you help them to understand themselves? I guess so that they're in a relationship, an intimate relationship with themselves in a way that they know mm-hmm. themselves to show mm-hmm. themselves to their spouse. Yeah. Well, so somebody whose work I follow a lot and um, is Dr. David Schnarch, who does, who is a differentiation theorist and just to be kind of succinct about that quickly, what it is is that the, the basic idea of differ- differentiation is that when you're young, when we're born, when we're small children, we don't have the psychological apparatus to have a sense of self that's independent of our relationships. So we, as young children, have a reflected sense of self. That is, we are we have a self in, that kind of resides within the relational reality. And that's just the starting point and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to grow into kind of your strongest self, you need to become less and less dependent upon other people to sustain you psychologically. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that 
matters for your question is that what I'm often helping people to do is to see how um, their sense of self has emerged and what are the relational meanings that both created that sense of self as well as the relational meanings that they keep recreating to maintain their sense of self. And often these are dysfunctional or less than ideal relational patterns that are familiar to them, but that keep them feeling trapped and keep them from actually loving their themselves and their partner because of this operating dependency. So just as an example, you know, I have a client who was always kind of neglected as a kid. Like she just wasn't, you know, her, her siblings got priority. She was kind of compliant. So she always got sort of pushed into the background while the parents dealt with sort of the more histrionic kids. And so she was always in pursuit of her parents' approval, always trying to comply her way into being seen as enough, but never could get it because her parents would just kind of take her for granted and attend to the others. So then she married somebody that replicated that pattern that she's looking to a man that always rejects her to, and trying to get him to tell her she's enough and always in pursuit, always seeking. And he's a man that doesn't ever want to grant her that because that he gets power out of kind of always having a hold of her sense of self. So that's, you know, how that couple came to me. And so the work for her, just as an example, is seeing that she keeps trying to extract something from someone who doesn't want to give it. And that that's coming out of weakness in him, not strength. And every time she goes and engages that way, she undermines her self-respect and interferes with her getting a deeper hold of her own sense of self, her self-respect, developing more self-compassion that is necessary for her to both make better choices in the context of her marriage, but also to help her function in a way where she really can sustain her sense of self and self-respect without depending on others to give it to her. Yeah. I mean, that's the big key, right? That she has been looking for a validation with the validations not coming. And right. That cycle, right. Where she, if I'm understanding this correctly, where she's yeah. not trying, she doesn't have validation in of her own self. That's right? right. That's right. Yeah. And so if you're in pursuit of somebody else to tell you you're enough, usually it's a sign that you haven't yet squared that with yourself. Mm-hmm. And even if the people that you do get to tell you that you're enough, you, if you aren't clear that you are, you still won't receive it as real. You might just think, well, they don't know me. You put different uh, behind that, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Different. So a lot of us think if I can get other people to tell me I'm okay, then I'll feel okay. And there's nothing wrong with other people telling you how great you are. And it can inform your sense of self, but it's not the, it's not the primary mechanism that allows you to sustain your sense of self. Mm-hmm. You have to forge a, capacity for compassion for yourself and it's very much linked to a capacity for compassion meaningful compassion for others yeah because that's not sustainable is getting validation from the outside i mean you that's just right really out of your control <laughs> to talk that's right. about like you don't get to control and they validate you so that's a lot of uh giving well i like to say like a power away or whatever yeah 
And when we can sing compassion with ourselves on that same note, we can see the compassion to others, but we give that, you know, if we give away our power, it's, and don't stay yes. in self-compassion, then we can't also give the compassion away. That's right. To those yes. others in our life that we want to, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's a tempting idea that somebody can give it to us and some certainly try to extract it from others, <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't end up really working. And it actually then makes you resent others because you perceive them to have control over something that you desperately want. Yeah. Which I've seen that, I mean, in my own life, I'm not perfect. I still do that sometimes when I have to pull back and be like, wait a minute, like that's not really where the validation is going to come from. And it's, that's not going to sustain me. And you're yes. right. If they don't give you the validation, then it's resentment. And then <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Another vicious cycle that we don't want to get into. So like, yep. I really love your teaching about like, it really has to start with understand. Like, I love your art of desire course where a lot of time women come to me and they, they don't have the marriage they want. They don't have intimacy or the sex life they have with their husband. But I'm a lot of the times they're surprised when I tell them that like, we're going to start way back on what yeah. your desire is way back on you. And they're like, wait, I'm coming to you for something totally different. But yeah, I was like, we need to yes. figure out where do you even think about you? Where, where we even start with you to understand yes. all the other parts of yes. it. Right. Forging more of a real relationship with herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I love a quote that I put on my Instagram a while ago, but I love, I mean, I love all your quotes, but um, it says intimacy is the willingness to know and be knowable. And most mm-hmm. of us are terrified of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. speak. So, I mean, I, I agree, but why are we terrified? Like what, why do we not want to be known or what is yeah. down in all your work? Like, why is that hard for us? Well, you know, I think we're terrified that in our core, we're wretched, you know, that, that if somebody really were to know us, they would reject us. And if they really know us and say no, then, then I'm nothing, right? So the more we're dependent on other people to tell us, to give us a sense of self, the more difficult it is to be honest, the more difficult it is to really be knowable because of that independency, you know, People that are willing to be vulnerable, to use Brené Brown's language, in fact, are stronger than people that don't want to let you ever see the underbelly because the people that let themselves be knowable um, have the ability to kind of hold their value whether or not you accept that about them. So if we are really... And, and we all grow up in imperfect love relationships and some certainly more harsh and, and insufficient than others. But when you grow up in an imperfect love relationship, you are going to have questions about your sufficiency. You know, you're not going to be able to get validation for every part of who you are. And, um, and so it means that, you know, if you are afraid that, if someone else rejects, rejects it, it means that it's wrong. You're not going to want anyone to know it. Mm-hmm. And we spend a lot of time, all of us as human beings, pretending, putting up an image, mm-hmm. you know, showing people the part we want them to see and then getting them to reflect back the view of ourselves we want to have yeah. rather than really letting ourselves be honest. And we do it with ourselves. We don't even want to be honest with ourselves because we don't want to deal with what's there so often. 
Mm-hmm. So we're good at telling ourselves the narratives we can stomach. Yeah. And, and the irony part about it is when you feel truly feel connected with someone, it's usually when you see their raw yes. self. It's, Absolutely. It's when I felt connected with people. It's when I felt that like there was, it was all, all of them. There was exactly no, and no I, pretending, no pretending. That's and, right. And so you think like those are the biggest and best connections we have. And then we're so scared to really let that happen. You know, it's true. And you know, that's really when I see couples start to have meaningful passion is when the marriage gets more and more honest and can handle more honesty and not brutal honesty. Like they're not doing it to be mean, but they're letting themselves be known. They're dealing with difficult topics, difficult struggles, but they're dealing with it with a kind of honesty and good faith. That's when people's trust for their spouse goes up. Their desire for their spouse goes up. Um, because there is nothing to hide or pretend they're trustworthy because they're honest and there's respect for it. Like there's like a, you know, if you've ever been with somebody who just lets themselves be knowable, then you are suddenly given permission to be knowable yourself. You don't have to pretend anything. Yeah. You know, you know, I, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I think about that. Like, when I know that I, I feel like I'm knowing someone that I, this whole wall comes down where I feel like, oh my gosh, you can know me too. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my husband and I were, we weren't in mixed faith. We're now in a mixed faith marriage. Like mm-hmm. he decided that he wanted to pursue something different as far as his faith went. But honestly, like the truth is that we learn to love each other and respect each other even so much deeper during mm-hmm. all of that, because we're mm-hmm. like, yeah, now we can be seen for who we are. Mm-hmm. And like, our relationship, our marriage, everything like got so mm. much stronger because we're like, I mean, granted it was hard, you know, there was a lot sure. of hell, but like to know that like, wow, you can be seen for you. And then he's like, and I can see you for you. And that's yeah. like, I think uh, so many times we're scared and I see so many people I work with so scared for someone to see them. But I'm like, if we can learn to be like, it's okay. If you see my raw self, like then we get to live a life where we don't have to hide. We don't have yes. to hide what's really really the best and the worst of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. And it's so terrifying. And yet it's where all the freedom is. Like you're saying, it's where all the meaningful intimacy is because when you find your spouse knows you and still accepts you, I mean, that's just such a remarkable gift and there's no guarantee. I mean, that's why it's scary. There's no guarantee, you know? And I always um, tell everyone, there's really actually no guarantees in anything. So like, right. That's right. And any fantasy we have that there is. Yeah. Um, is, so I'm is like, why not mm-hmm. like being known because we like, especially, you know, I, I share with you again for our interview, like my mom passed away, but I'm like, there's never any guarantees. So like, for me, I'm like, I want someone to know me mm-hmm. and, and give them, allow them the ability to like, let them be known as well. You know, like yep. I'll, I'll let you know me. And if you want, if you feel comfortable, that's great. But like, that's really yeah. important. And um, I love this from Cinderella, which I want you to um, touch mm. on a little bit, but mm. it says um, perhaps one of the greatest risks any of us will take or take is to be seen for who we truly are. It's kind of mm. like your same quote, but um, what, yeah. what do you think we make the risk be just that we're scared? Right. And, but what is there if we do take the risk? That's the thing. Like, yeah. I mean, we're scared of the rejection and, and you know, I don't, blame us for that in the sense that nobody wants to be told 
who they are, some, especially the more someone matters to you, it's easy to, you know, on a ski lift to tell somebody something because you're never going to see them again. So if the person doesn't matter that much to you, you can kind of share anything. But if it's somebody that you, that really matters, it's a parent, a child, a partner, well, they're very important self-reference. And so if they say, no, I reject you, you know, that's a lot of what's at the core for a lot of people around faith transitions is it's very, very difficult to be honest because one person's honesty is sort of disrupting the desires of the other and to confront the invalidation that's inherent to that process is really destabilizing and disorganizing, but it's also an opportunity to get clear about who you are, what matters to you, whether or not you're really going to love another person who's different than you. And it pushes us in all the ways that we're designed to grow, even though we feel like something's going horribly wrong when we're in the face of those challenges. But they're always the gifts in disguise because they are the things that if we will let them allow us to grow out of our immaturity and into more honesty and more strength. You know, like when I, with my raising children and especially teenagers, you know, I, I think you get confronted with your blind spots more with teenagers than you do with younger kids because they're stretching into their own adulthood and their own autonomy and they're more able to articulate and understand what isn't working. They see you better. And, and so, you know, it is a gift in disguise for the issues that are playing out in that process to let them be revealed to you because it becomes a way to see yourself more clearly. And I've, I've, you know, I've learned a ton about myself by raising kids and especially raising teenagers. Yeah. And so I never appreciate the gift when it's being offered. <laughs> but, I think we call it a gift in disguise, right? That's, that's yes. the term. <laughs> yes. We don't, we don't really see that it's a gift kind of until the hindsight, right? And then we're yeah. like, that's what I tell my husband all the time. I'm like, wow, the things I've learned from the journey we've been on is like mm-hmm. open my eyes. And I, yeah. it is a beautiful gift. I mean, in the time you're not really thinking it's a beautiful gift because there is rejection. There is. Yes. And it kind of does push you to like, Yes. Do I have this inside of me to dig deep enough? You know, but then you say like, yep. in disguise, you're like, and that's the same with teenagers right now. I have, I have three teenagers and one that's almost a preteen. So I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, a, it's true that our growth is linked to being loved. It matters, you know, children who are really have parents that that really do accept them and set appropriate limits and um, allow them to develop their gifts and so on. They're very fortunate children because they have a, a relational framework that's foundationally accepting and invested. But so that matters, of course. But when I think about the periods in my life where I've grown the most, that I've really made sort of seismic shifts in my way of thinking or relating to myself and others, they tend to be the really harrowing, difficult times. You know, when the thing you thought you wanted is not available to you and you have to deal with what is. And that pressures your mind to grow and be more capable of handling the world that you live in with wisdom. Yeah. I love you say when the thing that you want is not available, you have to figure out what is. Mm-hmm. And if I look back at my life, some of my most trying moments were like, there wasn't what I thought was available, you know, like 
my husband's journey, mm-hmm. losing my mom. I'm like, those things aren't available anymore to me. Mm-hmm. And like, what is? And, but those are my beautiful moments mm-hmm. as well, you know? Yeah. And I Absolutely. think that that's for ourselves, even with my teenagers too, like I started getting coaching and because of how hard it was with one of my teenagers. And, but now I felt like I've changed and like, I just want the unconditional love to like reciprocate to this daughter more and more because it, mm. it pushed me to my limits kind of, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's where we get to with like knowing ourselves and, and knowing how to like, when we get more pushed, being willing to get pushed, because if we're willing to get pushed, even in, in an intimate relationship or however that is, if we're willing to stay with it, there's usually like the beauty that comes after that. We're kind of just scared to hang on, you know, mm-hmm. too scared yes. to stay around the corner. We kind of bail out, but if we stay with it, I'm like, there is that magic around the corner or yeah. connection. Yeah, there is. And yeah, it's, um, you know, the beauty of like a lot of times when we're in the face of conflict, either with a spouse or a child or, you know, that some issue that we're bumping up against in our lives that it's disorganizing. It's distressing because everything's going the right way because it needs to be disorganizing. You have to disorganize your worldview and your view of yourself in order to put together something that's stronger and better. And so now I've just lost my thought. I'm sorry. Give me a second. <laughs> that going? I mean, I can, I, I just wanted why you get your thoughts. Yeah. I love that you say it has to be disorganized basically to come back to be more organized, right? Like it's disarranged right. because we need to come back and build it back probably in a different kind of a different way, you know, organize it. Yes. It. Yeah. Look at it and build it kind of like, it's not like it's broken, but it, a little bit sometimes seems like pieces are kind of fragmented and then it comes back into it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the thing I was going to say was that the, the, the beauty of it is, well, a lot of times people think, what's the matter with my marriage? What's the matter with my child? What's my, and not only do they think it, they insist on it. That's, so they demand that I was entitled to a better marriage. I was entitled to a spouse who wasn't going to have a faith crisis. I was entitled to a teenager that wasn't going to to be pushing back and struggling. So a lot of times we deal with these moments and treat it as though we are a victim within it and that life owes us an Instagram reality. Okay. <laughs> I love it. When, <laughs> when it absolutely doesn't, if you're paying attention, suffering is really foundational to the human experience. And if instead you submit to it in a way, like, I don't mean you just fall apart, but that you say, okay, clearly I'm missing something. What am I missing? What is life trying to teach me right now? What is God trying to teach me through the struggles of life? And, you know, sometimes people have this idea that God's micromanaging everything. God doesn't even need to do that because if you're just living, you're going to run into your limitations. <laughs> you're going to have and, life, life, lots of life homework. Lessons, yeah, right? exactly right. So you can't, you're just awake and living in the world. They're all over to be learned. And so... You know, so you can resent those or you can let them teach you to grow into someone stronger. And as you say, around the corner, if you let it grow, you come to like yourself more, to be more at peace within yourself because you're not running from the parts of yourself you're afraid of. But you also have a better relationship because the person that you struggled and confronted yourself on behalf of because of what was happening there, they map that, they see that. And they trust you more because you're more trustworthy. So you also, 
And not only does it, and it also blesses their life, as you were saying earlier, Tammy. So it's like, it, it is like 100% worth it. But when you're in the struggle, it's really hard to see it. And it's also really hard if you don't know what it is you're missing. I see a lot of people that come in and they've been struggling for so long and they can't figure out what they can't see. And, and it's not for lack of trying. And that's probably the hardest thing about being human is that how much we're, our blinds have this default of giving a narrative of reality that actually keeps us blind from the piece we need to see very often. Mm-hmm. Our own kind of our own blind spots were, Mm-hmm. We're in our own stories per se so yes. deeply that we can't step back and kind of be like, let's look at our brain instead of be in it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. That's yep. been so fun. Like as when I have clients come, I'm like, I don't really do much, but we just look at your brain together and you help you see what's really happening yep. and to kind of unfold that. And I love how you say we submit to it because it's not like we don't think we're going to have challenges. I don't think anyone thinks they're not going to have challenges, but we try to resist the challenge, resist the uncomfortableness. But if we're like, let's just submit to like, we kind of know it's going to be uncomfortable, submit to that. And even just like kind of make peace with like, it's uncomfortable. It's hard. That's right. And, and then we just don't have the extra suffering that allows us to eventually get past it. But the extra suffering gets so heavy that we're like, I I can't get past it. Yeah, no, exactly. And and I think that's what a meaningful faith is. That's why faith is a virtue. Because a lot of times people think faith is just believing in things that you don't really think make sense or believing in sort of fantasy land. I think real faith is what you're talking about, which is I am willing to submit to this process because I believe that good is real. That that clarity and knowledge can come through this by being honest within the struggle. That's faith because you're, you don't yet have it put together. You don't yet have knowledge, but you're reaching for clarity and tolerating the discomfort without losing hope, without losing perseverance. Mm-hmm. And that's where faith is a virtue is you're willing to go through the process. Yeah. Being honest with the process that is happening and so many times we want to say it's not true, but if we just say it's true, it actually gets a little lighter. It doesn't. Yes, <laughs> that's right. It does. It does. It does. It, it lightens does. the load. And so, yeah, I do want to say just a few more things. Like, why do you think this? So we talk about being uncomfortable. You, you kind of have to submit to it and be like, hey, if this is really happening. This is really hard. Even if my marriage is hard, if, you know, whatever's hard. And that's part of the way it goes. But so many times we're kind of scared to confront that or to talk about that with someone or to coach with someone or with your spouse or anything. Why do you think we stay in the known discomfort versus being willing to go into the unknown discomfort of taking Mm -hmm. that next step to do something to make it better? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of that issue of faith. Like, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, how, am I, do I, can I trust that going into the unknown that something better will emerge? Because mm-hmm. right? a lot of you would really rather live in a really uncomfortable marriage than actually pressure that marriage to see if it can grow. Mm-hmm. And because there isn't a guarantee. And so I think sometimes we'd rather say, well, I may be miserable, but I didn't even try that that can feel more comfortable for some of us. Then I really gave it my best and it didn't work. Um, we almost want the, the supposed safety of not trying, but you can't 
not choose in life because even not choosing is a choice and it's one that you made even if by default and so you live in the consequences of those choices that's something we can't escape in living life I agree I don't know who said it it was general conference but by not choosing you're still doing the choice yes that's that's so true that like um we have, I mean, we say we're not choosing if we stay in an uncomfortable marriage or if we stay even not taking care of ourselves, you know, or I have people say like, it's going to be too hard to start doing a little event or a race or 5k mm-hmm. whatever. and we stay in that uncomfortableness. That's still a choice to stay yeah. in That's discomfort, right. a known discomfort, a very numbing discomfort. But, um, mm-hmm. I think they are scared to know what's on the other side, but it's kind of like failing ahead of time. And they don't even, they, mm-hmm. there's still a slight bit of failing a tiny bit because they haven't even tried the other part to like pressure up against the marriage pressure up against mm. what I'm, am I capable of, of becoming a better or healthier or something we're just kind of we just are like no it's too hard <laughs> yeah yeah we're just and we just let our fear run our life and and that's I understand it you know fear can be really terrifying you know the anxiety of the unknown and some of us feel that anxiety more than others but I think when you let the fear run the decisions, you end up paying a bigger price and you end up ultimately living in more fear because you feel like you aren't strong enough to handle it. And so then you feel even weaker. So the, you know, the rule of thumb is go towards the thing, just the faith to go towards what scares you will always make you stronger, even though you will have, you do. I'm always handling fear. Like <laughs> I'm fear walking. I sometimes feel like, I mean, I feel like I am often managing anxiety because I'm doing things that are outside of my comfort zone or doing things that um, stretch me. And I'm grateful for that because I get to live in the consequences of, of some of those courageous things in the past, but it is uncomfortable sometimes. So it's hard sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's, harder the beginning it's harder the beginning to go to the comfort zone I I think it gets Mm. you get used to it a little bit more as you do it but the very first beginning part of that is really hard and you don't know what to expect and it is scary and no one wants to feel that fear that scare the extra anxiety Mm -hmm. we don't want to bring more into our life than we already have Mm. but I think once we start doing that in different in certain areas of our life and then it can kind of start in other areas that we start seeing the benefits and we're willing to stay with it. I mean, I do endurance racing and like, I'm like, mm. you know, say I'm into the, I'm into the run, you do, I do a swim bike and then I'm running 26 miles at the end. And mm. I'm like 15 miles in, I'm like, I could probably quit here. It's so hard. And I'm like this mm. debate in my head. And I, now I know mm. that like you stick with it because you get to a finish line. I have like mm. some examples like that, but yes. I use that in my marriage to be like, yes. listen, if I, if I stop at like mile 15, when I'm doing an Ironman, like I only had this many miles left and like, yes, it, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that's absolutely right. The more you see yourself through the more confidence you have in the process and the more you can stabilize yourself when you're in that, when you're hitting the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then yeah. it comes and goes like the wall comes and you're like, you have highs and lows. And I, that's what I tell people. I'm like, we have highs and then we have lows again, but we don't get, we don't get stuck in either of them. But sometimes we feel That's like right. we are stuck, but we're like, no, yeah. don't get to a high again. And then the high right. stay. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So anyways, anything else you want to share? I just, I just really want people to see that like, you know, to get to know ourselves and to understand knowing ourselves means it's going to, we're going to have fear. We're going to have anxiety. It's, it's going to be hard. And that's part of the knowing. 
and getting to know that like that's inside of everyone. So to, to be willing to share that, to, to know that we're knowable and the other person that we want to get to know, if that's a spouse or a child, they still have those things too. Yeah. And when yes. we can connect on that level, the intimacy in any, any kind of relationship and especially all the way to like a marriage relationship, physical intimacy is such a different relationship at that point. Mm-hmm. Get to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're saying it, but one of the real beauties of, of this refining process is that you fundamentally come to a place of just much deeper compassion just in general, not just for yourself, not just for others, but for all of what it is to be human, that we're deeply imperfect, living in a deeply imperfect world. And that, you know, there is evil and there is good. There is courage and there is cowardice. And, you know, when I watch courageous people, it moves me deeply because that's evidence of the good. That's evidence of the best in humanity. And it's like, I'm not sure how to say it, but I'm in my fifties. I don't know. By the time you get here, if you've tried to live pretty honestly, you get to a point where there's really nothing to hide. I mean, (laughs) I'm just human like everybody else, you know, we're, you know, that I can take self-respect in doing my best, but that it's, it's a fundamentally flawed reality and I'm not saying it to diss it, but to say it is the architecture of it and that is okay. And it really teaches us compassion that we're limited beings trying to kind of fumble our way through and that the respect is not in the perfection. Respect is not even in the mastery. It's more in the earnest and honest effort towards mastery towards improvement towards honesty towards courage so it's it's um yeah it's yeah I think it's so true that it's not in the perfection which everyone thinks that's what the outside world wants it's really in the honesty it's really in the living Mm -hmm. and it's really I do think it's a lifetime of getting self-compassion for ourselves and compassion for others yes it is a lifetime but the more we do that I think the more we learn to connect with all of what's inside of us, we're willing to connect and show compassion to whoever, for whomever, whatever it may be, because we are willing that we've done that to ourselves and we know that's that's what it feels like, you know? That's right. So I just, I think that, I think it takes a long time to do that, but I I love that when we get our little life lessons or what did you call them? The unexpected gifts? What were we saying? Yeah. I can't remember (laughs) what I called them, but yeah. Exactly. Gifts in disguise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what will build the compassion. You know, we have, we face it, but we get pushed up against ourselves to learn that. And then we get, we get pushed in other situations and we gain that compassion. I mean, it's the compassion that Christ had himself that we're all Mm -hmm. trying to obtain. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we attain it, we get bits of him in our hearts. That's, that's the compassion. That's like what Christ does, you know? And so I, I just think it's, I think it's beautiful work. I love that you are helping others that are spinning, that want this and they don't know how, but you can give them tools and you give them avenues, things to work on so that they can start seeing what's really happening. They can start understanding what they're thinking and maybe pull away a little bit from their story to just be like, Hey, let's, let's look at a little bit, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I, I appreciate you're such an inspiration to me of like, 
I'm just beginning out on my journey, but I, I think if there's any way to like inspire others or to help them in any way, live an honest, authentic life to like, what I say is heal thyself from the inside out, which really brings us to our healthy self. Like that to Mm -hmm. me is living. And anyone that shares Mm -hmm. that with others, I feel like they're taking their talent and their gifts and they're really doing magnifying that. So yeah, I really yeah. appreciate well, that. So our last question, just on a fun note, sure. is sure. Um, what are you doing personally to go beyond your comfort zone? Lately? <laughs> Lately um, or well, <laughs> yeah, well, let's see. What am I doing? Um, I think, I just have to think about the question a little bit. Um, maybe a couple things. I'm, um, I'm doing this, uh, I'm teaching an online men's sexuality course that, you know, I've been asked for a while to do it, but I think I've been a little bit slow because I've been anxious a little bit about it. Like it's easier to talk about women's sexuality as a woman. It's a little different to talk to men about men's sexuality, you know, because you're not a woman, but it's also there, you know, it's interesting. The more I do it, the more comfortable I get, but there is something about just putting yourself out there, offering something. I remember what used to be whenever I would like post an advertisement, I would get really anxious. Like, what if nobody wants it? What if people like, I don't know. It's just this sort of right exposure. There, so I get it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so I've been, that, that's a stretch because it's not just a stretch that I'm f- afraid of the invalidation. I think, you know, that's, that's a piece that's there. But it's also a stretch of like having to learn and really think through things, think through the way culturally we think about things, question some of my own positions, get other perspectives. It's just a process of development and it's uncomfortable. Um, and then I would say like with my kids, I think I've just been learning more about how to be a better parent, how to facilitate my kids autonomy more, how to be involved without uh, taking on too much or doing the opposite of being a little arm's length and being too little invested. Like I I can, I've been really working to see myself more clearly in that process and to kind of keep myself in a sort of regulated place, um, as, as all three of them actually currently are being stretched in ways that are uncomfortable for them. And so for me to kind of stabilize, stabilize myself and be, um, a valuable resource for them, but in the right way, that's, it's just, I have to be sort of conscious and thoughtful and not get hooked into their anxiety or their struggle and kind of settle myself to let them have their struggle, Yeah, but not, not use distance as a way of settling myself. Yeah which I say in lots of things, but there's like such a sweet spot with parenting where it's like you love them and you can't take over their journey by taking away some of their anxiety. But at the same time, you want to know, you want them to know you're there enough Mm -hmm. to be the safe space, to hold the space for them. And it, Mm -hmm. no one gives you a manual on that. And I think like, it's it's like, you have to find, you know, you do something that doesn't work or something that works and you're like, okay, I'm fine tuning them, find that little Mm -hmm. sweet spot. So yeah. And as a parent handling a lot of uncertainty around something that really matters that, you know, I want my child to belong to him or herself. I want them to, to have courage in the face of the obstacle and so on, but I can't, and it really matters for their happiness and long-term well-being, but I can't control it. And to stay involved in the face of what you can't control 
is an exercise in anxiety. <laughs> yeah. To stay in power when you can't control is yeah. really an ex- that is yeah. a good point because yeah. we don't get to control them and just to stay in that and just be that anxiety of just like I can't do it, but just be like I just love them. Like that sounds like mm-hmm. really easy to do, but it's actually really hard as a parent to do. Yeah, hundred percent. So, 100%. so I rating what we don't control. Yeah, yeah I love mm-hmm. that you that you're so candid, but it's true. Like no. Even though you're like this icon, like you still, we still, <laughs> you still have your own struggles and, sure. and you still are trying. And I love you're doing a men's course. Like that was you, people asking you, but you feeling pressure to be not pressure, but your own self being like, how am I going to dig deep mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. out of my comfort zone and do something mm-hmm. that is not as comfortable, but in the long run will benefit. Like you're hoping, mm-hmm. you know, that it'll benefit mm-hmm. in so many lives. Yes. yes. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here. 